the Olympics is a time where everyone is in the streets, everyone is out in the stadiums together, which would create a world of problems if the uh, coronavirus is still as widespread as it is now. Looking at where we're at now and where we want to be uh, when this is all over, I think it's the right thing to do. I was hoping you could give us your top five most dominant moves in the history of the league. I would say Jordan's fadeaway, Iverson's crossover, Obviously, Kareem Skyhook was, was legendary. He's on the list. I would say the dream shake because Shaq had the dream shake in him. Bradshaw said, why else would he leave other than to prove he's more important than Bill Belichick? I don't agree with that statement. I think Tom Brady is continuing to play not just because he wants to prove someone wrong, but I think he wants to prove himself right. Like, he wants to prove that he can still play. Welcome to episode 102 of Pull Up. That's right, 102 episodes. This is the Doggy Daycare Edition. As you all know, we are still currently unemployed, but receiving pay uh, as we sit around the house and try to figure out you know, what to do in terms of exercise, working out, games, activities, etc. Jordan is quarantined in the city that is under a bit of an attack from the virus. I mean, this is a place where I, I believe they have what, uh, over a fourth, almost close to half of the uh, cases around the United States are in New York. So you guys are really on lockdown. So CJ, I'm not in New York. I'm out in Long Island, but my sister-in-law who's staying in our apartment, she said that the streets are totally bare. You might see someone walking their dog, but for the most part, there's nobody out. And I just read a stat that one, every, one in every 1,000 people in the New York City metro area have uh, contracted corona. I mean, that's just an alarming rate. And also, my home state, Washington, Seattle, has uh, has is the other area with the most cases. So you consider those two states and the impact the virus continues to have, it's pretty scary. So I wonder for you, like a weekend, another weekend here where we're getting more used to it, have you been able to adapt at all? And, and how are you being productive day, day to day? Yeah, I've definitely been able to adapt, um, getting used to being at home. I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to stay at home anyway, uh, watch a lot of TV shows, kind of relax and enjoy it because we travel so much. So the only adjustment has been not going to the practice facility, not being able to use a gym. Um, that's been the difficult part because you're just so used to being in routine and and having your schedule in place. You get your treatment, you get you get to ice, you get to steam room, you get all those things done. You get your shots up, you get your lifts in. So now I'm kind of adjusting and and getting my schedule right uh, for workouts at home. I ordered some uh, kettlebells. Wifey's been uh, in there working out, and she just got all her kettlebells in. So I have enough to to get some stuff done back there. They put together body uh, body weight workouts for us, and um, I got a puppy, so <laughs> I'm able to do. That's where I was going next. The puppy. <laughs> just threw that in. I got a puppy, so I'm able to do what what I need to uh, to get through each day. I've been in the kitchen a little bit cooking. So I'm able to do a little bit of everything to where the day's able to pass by uh, pretty quickly. I'll start reading tonight. I took a little break from reading books because I was trying to watch as many TV shows as possible. Uh, but I'll just continue to try to get like 30 to an hour in uh, a day of reading uh, while, while this break is going on because otherwise I'll play with the pup all day and, and just watch TV. And then the next thing you know, it'll be time to go to sleep. Tell us about this puppy. You got her from the Oregon Rescue, which is awesome. I encourage all people to uh, get their animals from rescue centers. So what was the impetus to this? Because I know, I know for a fact we had discussed your interest, specifically Elise's interest in getting a dog. So what was the actual icing on the cake to make it happen? 
Well, she basically just backdoored me and, and went and did it on her own. She reached out to the shelter, uh, basically inquired about fostering a puppy. I told him our interest, did the paperwork, and then told him that we would pick up the puppy on Monday. And then I got home. And I found out that we were supposed to pick up a puppy on Monday. I had no idea. And she was like, but you're going to be happy. And I was like, why am I going to be happy about this? She was like, because I asked for a Rottweiler. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. She figured she had softened the blow by, by asking for a Rottweiler or something like it. And uh, I was, I was going to get her a puppy anyway um, at some point. I just wasn't going to do it this fast. But we have a lot of free time. And there's a lot of uh, puppies out there that are in need of homes, especially stable, safe homes. So... Um, I wasn't against it. I just was worried about the timing because I wasn't sure when we would have to start back up. And that means a lot of traveling and, and her potentially having to travel as well for school um, before she transitions to residency. But I'm happy I'm happy we did it. Uh, the, the puppy has been through a lot. You can tell a lot of trauma um, based on how she reacts to certain gestures. And she's very timid, very afraid, very shy. But she's she's well well-behaved in, in terms of not barking. She tried to make it to the pee pad uh, when it was time to go to the potty. And um, she's just very, very low maintenance, but you can just tell like some of that joy is missing yeah. and hopefully she can get it back with us. Yeah, she will. She will. How about the nights? Is she waking up? She sleeps, man. She slept a lot yesterday. She was falling asleep on the carpet and I was like, oh, we got to get her off this carpet because I know she's going to wake up and drop a bomb at any moment. So uh, <laughs> we, we took her we took her to the room and kind of set up like a little a little area for her, uh, put her doggy bed down and, and kind of fenced her in. And she just laid down and kind of went to sleep. But we gave her an opportunity to, to crawl into her uh, cage as well. And uh, we set up the PP pads and she slept. She slept until 3 a.m. So it was basically like, I don't know. Nine to three, ten to three ish, basically sleeping, no barking, or minimal movement till three a.m. And she woke up and, and went ham, um, and dropped, you know, <laughs> one of the one of the larger bombs I've seen from a, a four month old. She dropped her business. I went and cleaned it up, and she was embarrassed and kind of crawled back into her. Um, she went back to her cage. Wow. Instead of like staying in the, the pen area, we had a cage set up too, so she could if she didn't want to stay in there, she could crawl out, but she would crawl into like yeah. her place. Like where she's kind of isolated, so she just crawled in the back and kind of sat down and looked up at us like, "I'm sorry," and I'm like, "You're not," but it's okay. Well, moving, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then she she was snoring like five minutes later. I can tell you that routine routine is the key. We we've had our rescue for eight and a half years, and it took time. But once you get once the dog knows and understands that this is its new home, then they that's when you begin to see the transformation. So I, I'm really excited for you. I know it is a foster. So, what's the here? Are the here are the here are the three biggest questions. What's the over under on time before you decide for sure you're keeping her? Does she have a name? And more importantly, if you can name her after an NBA great, what would the name be? I mean, we basically decided we we're going to keep her right when we got her, but we just didn't. <laughs> we just haven't just haven't confirmed it. The name right now we're calling her Janie. But that was because we thought that we were just going to uh, foster her and give her back. But now that we're going to keep her probably, most likely an adopt, we have to figure out a name that we want uh, to keep for the long haul. And if I had to pick a name from an NBA or WNBA great, I would probably go with one of three names. I love Doris Burke. Doris. Doris is a good name. Becky, because- Becky Hammond. For obvious reasons, Becky is a monster. Sue Bird, yeah, monster. Diana Taurasi. So maybe I do Diana. 
Because like Diana's like I do like dogs with like very specific human names. You know, like George. Human name. Like I might call her Diana Taurasi. Well, she's gonna be a hooper. You know that. Yeah, she's gonna be a hooper. She's gonna be Airbud. So many ideas. We're, we're gonna we're gonna run these by Elise when she comes back when she brings the dog back in. I do want to say, for what it's worth, I am I'm extremely excited and proud of you and Elise for doing this. It's a it's a big step. And you guys are officially parents. You have a fur baby. And you're going to love it. You're absolutely going to love it. And it's going to be a great blueprint on how to parent for when you decide to have humans. So this is productivity during Corona. I guarantee you wouldn't have gotten this dog if it was still the, the throes of the NBA season. Oh, we absolutely would not have gotten this dog, especially right now. We would have gotten a dog probably once summer was almost over. Once we kind of finished up everything we wanted to get done and traveled and stuff and kind of got settled in, then we would have uh, looked into getting a dog. But we just we were planning on traveling a lot and being on the go, so it would have been hard to have a dog at home right. while we were accomplishing all those things. Right. Um, so you listen. I don't even know how to approach this because it's so funny. Um, you, you went on Instagram Live with Dame, and I I I wasn't. I don't even think I had my phone, so I didn't know that it was going on until I got just flooded with some text messages and I checked it out and CJ, I got to say, this is, this is your all time comedic moment. Um, so you and Dane had some fun. You had some interesting words. What, uh, what sparked this and, uh, what's been the reaction? <laughs> well, Jamal's, Jamal's the homie. I've known Jamal since he was, um, real, real young. Like since he was a young boy, I used to work out in uh, Toronto every summer. And I work out with the national team. And Jamal would come and work out in the mornings or work out um, after the national team was done. Um, this is like before, I think this is even before he went to Kentucky. So this is a while ago um, when he was a prospect and he was young and getting ready to transition to potentially playing on the, on, the, on the big boy national team. This is when he was on the junior national team. And I watched him work out. I got to know him and his father and his family well. And, um, and we've always gotten along. But I just thought it was funny because, for one, I know him really well. And uh, we get along well. And for two, it was like a funny joke that, that was in the comments. So I just kind of read it, not really paying attention, but like understanding the the uh, the magnitude of it from afar. But me being me, um, I've never been one to mince my words. And uh, I read the comment, but it was actually a funny comment. It was. And uh, well-timed. It was. It was great. <laughs> it was great. People that you wouldn't expect to think it was funny thought it was funny. Okay. Like, did you hear, for example, did you hear like from Chief or somebody an ex-teammate or something. I ain't going to use no names, man. I ain't going to throw nobody under the bus, man. But a lot of people, a lot of people reached out and, and thought it was hilarious. It was really funny. And obviously on the heels of, let's just say a Jamal Murray error. Um, but Dame's reaction to me made the whole thing because he didn't think you were going to go there. I don't even think it crossed his mind <laughs> until you did. That That's what made the video so funny because then you reacted to Dame. Yeah, I was like, Wait, what are you... I'm just reading a comment, bro. Like, what shit? What you mean? Like, <laughs> and then I just I was talking about something else. Anyway, I was talking about my puppy, and I was like, yeah. So I got this dog. Like, cause I'm trying to like trying to change the subject. You know, I'm in I'm in conversation. Yeah, it's like I'm not like this is not a big deal to me. Like I was just reading the comment. I'm I'm moving on to to the dog. Like, this is this is what we came here to talk about, brother. We talking about this dog and how you need to get one. So that was my like thought process. It was like yeah, yeah whatever. Like eh, I don't really care. But let's talk about my puppy. That is so good. I mean, honestly, for those who haven't watched it, and I would imagine that uh, most Blazer fans and, and certainly uh, all Polo fans have indulged. It is really good stuff. It's a great video. I it, it brought joy to an otherwise mundane Corona day. So thank you. <laughs> I'm glad I could bring some some joy and, and, and happiness uh, to your day. I'll be doing some more 
um, Instagram lives and things of that nature in the next week or so. I kind of took a break from it and then uh, I've decided to since dive back in, uh, so to speak, uh, here I like shortly. It. And uh, we'll be doing that starting tomorrow. CJ, stay in the game challenge. You got 128 and 60 seconds. You challenged me. Uh, I got to get out to a court and do this. What do you think I'm going to get? Because you know I don't have a handle. You know you don't have to do this at a court, for starters. I just want to start off by saying I did mine on my patio. Okay, that's true. Um, all I'm hearing is excuses. I challenged you a long time ago. I'm still waiting on the video, but that's neither here nor there. I think if you do it as many times as I did, you can get 100 or more. It's all about getting used to like, the strategy because at first it's going to be hard. You're going to figure out your stance, like how you want to do it, like how do you reach, how do you slide. After you do it a few times, it'll be it'll be relatively easy for you to just keep your pace and uh, knock it out. Some kids have sent me their challenges and have really destroyed my point total. And I think it's because the smaller you are, the smaller your reach radius is. They don't make you reach as far. Right. It's like it's like a running back being low to the ground and having that low center of gravity. And if you don't have to reach as far, you're not as long, there's not as there's there's less elapsed time. Exactly. Exactly. Less elapsed time and less movement. Yeah, less less wasted motion. For me, I was having to go I was having to go like two, three feet to the left and two, three feet to the right and then get back to center, which, you know, definitely affected uh my timing and my score. Well, I, I can tell you that I will produce a, a respectable number. I don't know when I'll be producing it because, well, I guess now I don't really need to go to a court. You're right. I just need a good surface. I do have a ball, and I will be producing a, a good number. And I'm excited to 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 get your reaction, um, and also to show that you know I, I I can I can still play a little bit. Although I'm never been a good ball handler, it's, it's actually been the the really big issue for me for a long time. So I'm I'm a little bit concerned about it. Admittedly. Um, <laughs> see, that wasn't even meant to be funny, but my handle has been long been so pathetic that it, it really is. It's just I'm a terrible ball handler. It's okay, man. This is what the app is for. It's, it's to tighten up your handle, and it's not asking you to do anything out the ordinary. You can literally just do pound dribbles. You don't have to do no crossovers, no in and outs. You don't have to do any of that stuff if you don't want to. And just reach, just just find the targets, keep your head up at times uh, to make sure you can see the target. And uh, it'll be easier than what you, what you think it is once you try it out. Okay, that's good to know. When we come back, we'll discuss the official postponement of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and what that means for athletes, fans, and more. Don't go anywhere. CJ, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics have been postponed and We'll have to wait and see just how long it'll be, but massive news across the globe today. And CJ, I agree with you about the Olympics, not only from a health standpoint, but I think also from a results standpoint. If you think about all the pre-Olympic trials, the training, the practices, none of that would be available to these athletes. So you wouldn't have the same level of elite performances across the board. And then you think about all these countries, Portugal, Germany, Canada, pulling their athletes out of the Olympics saying we're not going to participate. So even if you were to go on with it, you wouldn't have the same level of athletes. So the whole thing to me, it was the right move. It's extremely unfortunate, but, but it's a side of the times that we're in right now. I think this just shows the severity of the coronavirus and 
how far it's spread and how long it'll actually last. Uh, looking at what we've seen all across the world, especially uh, in Europe, uh, the amount of cases um, that are happening in Italy, in Spain, and how it's spread and, and how everybody is strategically trying to self-quarantine, uh, keep people outside of um, the streets, keep people outside of restaurants, keep people basically in the house uh, as much as possible and, and limit contact with others. The Olympics is a time where everyone is in the streets, everyone is out in the stadiums together, uh, which would create a world of problems if the uh, coronavirus is still as widespread as it is now, or even if it's not, and one or two people are infected and attend some of these potential events, everyone is in jeopardy and, and everyone from all walks of life in all parts of the world. Because the Olympics represent so many different countries, this would be a serious problem uh, for us in terms of the epidemic, in terms of the economy, in terms of uh, life uh, and the amount of life that would be at stake. So I think this is the right decision. Uh, obviously, uh, it's not what everybody wanted. It's not what everybody um, probably expected early on. But looking at where we're at now and where we want to be uh, when this is all over, I think it's the right thing to do. I totally agree. It's it's really sad because it's such a monumental event globally for athletes, for humans to come together, human beings to come together from all over the world, different countries, and, and rally behind um, your own nation. And, and obviously, from a basketball standpoint, it sucks. But I here's why I think it's, to add on to your point, not only from a safety standpoint, but from a performance standpoint, CJ, we weren't going to be able to have these trials and this prep in terms of the practices, the training, all of these things have essentially already been thrown out the window. So even if you got to the games and you, you, you decided to move forward with it, you wouldn't have the same quality of performances. You, you wouldn't have the same level of precision that we expect from, from Olympic athletes. So just that, that alone to me, uh, was a was a really important reason, you know, and I think it's it speaks to to your point about how bad things have gotten, and um, you know, it's if it's one year, it's still all of that, um, all of the preparation and and the window for a lot of these athletes who would only be able to do to uh, you know participate in one Olympics, they'll still be able to do it. I, I just really hope it's only one year, and I know that uh, they've said it will definitely only be one year, but. I do. Uh, I was saddened. I, I think it was inevitable, inevitable, but I was saddened by it. I'm curious for you. See, the reason I also wanted to bring it up was, um, you know, I, if if it meant you not going to Japan and, and you were going to be on the Olympic team, and this was the one summer you were going to do it, just hypothetically, what would that have done to your psyche? I think people are definitely disappointed um, in all sports because the Olympics is the time. Um, to play, represent your country. It's the elite of the elite. Uh, it's it's a life-changing experience, one I've never been able to uh, be a part of, but I've seen from afar, and I've seen the impact it's had on people that I know that have been able to participate, the lifelong bonds you make, um, not just with the players, but the families, uh, the staff. Um, it's definitely tough for everyone, but health comes first, um, no, no matter what, regardless of circumstances, uh, even if it if it means something that you really care about being taken away from you, your health and the health of others is, is a priority and should always be um, a priority. So I think that's my mindset. And I think that's all athletes' mindsets. Uh, they would rather be alive and, and well and healthy and have their families alive, well and healthy than to represent their countries and, and potentially risk um, harm to the, not only themselves, but their family members or people they truly care about. Yeah, and, and a lot of the countries got ahead of it. Brazil, Slovenia, Canada, Australia, Norway, Portugal, and Germany all have said 
uh, prior that they were not going to be participating. And when you start to think about how many countries are saying we're, we're not going to come, even if they did decide to hold the Olympics, I think that gives you an idea of how serious it is. It, it does do a lot for, for Team USA basketball because Commissioner Adam Silver has already said that the NBA's calendar could change. And so, you know, if you think about when the NBA season will happen or will occur, right? If you have a much different schedule in terms of the months, then now you're putting your roster in jeopardy. Guys basically wanting rest aren't going to be able to get it. Um, you have young players that aren't going to be able to uh, to get it. Old players who would be worried about, you know, preserving their, their bodies. It, it's just, it, it puts a, a lot of question marks into Team USA basketball specifically because of the rest factor and not knowing when the when the season will actually resume if it does. Yeah, this is a very interesting situation. Honestly, looking at some of the hypotheticals uh, in terms of when our season could start back up, when it could potentially end. Some people are saying that it could start in June. Some people are saying that it could start in July. If there's a July start now, that means it ends in what, September? which means we have a Christmas start. So there's a lot of unknowns to be determined basically in the next 30 to 60 days you know, based on government regulation. Can we have gatherings of over 50 people? If you think about a basketball game, 15 players from each team is 30. Coaching staff, minimum six to seven, player, six to seven staff members uh, who coach, that's 14, that's 44. You got an athletic trainer, 45. Assistant athletic trainer, 46. Strength coach, 47, 48. You're looking at over 50 people if you just include both teams and staff. So... We're in a bit of a pickle right now in terms of when we could potentially start because the government ordinance that's out right now is no large gatherings and essentially no gatherings of over 50 people in a lot of the states uh, that NBA teams are represented by. So uh, that'll kind of determine if we can come back and play without games, I would imagine. And and whether or not we can do that will also determine the start time for a playoff if there is a playoff. Right. So there's a lot of un- unknowns. And I'm sure players like myself, I'm confused uh, as to how – we should even go about this because how do you p- prepare when you can't go to go to an actual gym and really work out like from a basketball standpoint? hundred percent. But but from a basketball standpoint with Team USA, the system is very is structured extremely tight. You know, there's there's camp, there's tryouts, um, there's uh, you know tours. Everything is set to a schedule. But when you talk about resetting the NBA schedule. Now all of that is in limbo. So you mentioned being confused. Imagine how confusing this is for Greg Popovich and the entire Jerry Colangelo, the whole USA Basketball Committee, because now they're going to have to change on the fly as well when they start thinking about how to assemble their roster. Not knowing whether or not certain players that were already gimmies are going to still play. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. The The fact that they have a mini camp. That's probably out. This summer is is a wash, no matter what, because... This summer is a wash, yeah. Summer league's probably a wash. The draft is probably a wash. The NFL draft has already announced they've canceled it. They'll have to figure out a different way to kind of go forward in Las Vegas. So there's just... All sports are being affected, but the Olympics, more specifically the basketball side of it, in terms of preparation, they don't have a roster set yet. They haven't set the roster. They said they would figure out how many players they're going to invite to keep. But if you push it back another summer... 
Like, how does that change things from a from a player standpoint who has a family, who has kids, who has obligations? Um, right. There's just a lot that goes into this. And obviously the staff that's supposed to coach and, and do the selections, they're put on, uh, they're kind of put in limbo because they don't know what to expect or what to do in terms of their scheduling as well. And also there's been talks to CJ, although very early, that they might have the Olympics, if they can, in the spring of 2021 as opposed to summer. So that's even less time elapsed for guys to get their rest. And, you know, there's 44 finalists and for the Olympic roster. And so there, on one hand, yeah, there's a lot of options. But as you've said, there are certain, there are certain locks, right? And, you know, you just wonder whether or not some of those locks would want to Put their um, put their bodies at risk without the rest, the necessary rest. So I, I'm really curious to see how this develops, um, and I think uh, it's something really worth monitoring for all basketball fans. Don't go anywhere because after the break, we'll talk about the most unstoppable NBA moves of all time: Tom Brady versus Terry Bradshaw and wine. Stay tuned. Speaking of the Olympics, 1992, Barcelona, we know that that's the most dominant series of games in USA history. The average margin of victory was about 30 points, and obviously that's the dream team. Several players, CJ, from that team have patented unstoppable moves, okay? Michael Jordan specifically, his fadeaways and reverse layups. Um, That was number one for me. But you also have the new school, James Harden's contact drawing drives and his step back. You have Shaq's being, you know... Shaquille O'Neal probably being the most physically dominant player in league history, Kareem Skyhook. For you, I was hoping you could give us your top five most dominant moves in in the history of the league. And obviously, Allen Iverson's crossover and uh, Dirk Nowitzki's one-legged fadeaway also make the uh, list. Based on this list, if I had to pick the top five, I would say Jordan's fadeaway, Iverson's crossover, Wow, number two. In no in no particular order. <laughs> I oh, okay. Do that. But as a guard, he did change the game with that crossover. No doubt. Obviously, Kareem Skyhook was was legendary. He's on the list, and and it was magic. It was Kareem inspired Magic to basically do the jump hook in in his rookie year finals uh, when he started at center. Um, Manu's Euro step. Oh. His Euro step definitely was revolutionary. Yes, it was yes. definitely revolutionary. Yes, because nobody that he came did it. from Europe right. and did it. Nobody had done it before him. Um, and although, like, being big isn't a move. <laughs> the, the black tornado is not a – I'm not going to count that. That's not a move. Um, I would say the dream shake because yes, Shaq had the dream shake in him. And I started with, with Elijah Wan. Yeah, it's hard to quantify all of it. But, you know, some of the, the – the reason these moves are so great, especially like Kareem, for example, is it holds up. You know, from era to era, it totally holds up. I'm curious where you would put, like, you know, like, did Larry Bird have a patented move? Did, you know what I mean? Like, these are all time, like, like Magic. No, he was he, just a hooper. Yeah, he's just a hooper. Did, did Magic, I, like, what about Magic's no look? Like, do we even count that as a move or it's more like a play? You know what I mean? He didn't really have a patented move. No, I agree. I agree with you. I think some players, although they revolutionized and changed the game, they didn't just do it one way. Like Bird did a little bit of everything. He got buckets. He was cocky. He was confident. He made no-look passes. He did jump hooks. He shot fadeaways. He played games with his left hand to prove a point. Like He did a lot of different stuff uh, to where he just kind of showed his greatness. It was really funny. Um, 
Kareem was asked in his prime, were you surprised when someone blocked the hook, the sky hook? And he tweeted out, in my prime, nobody blocked my hook. <laughs> I like it. That's a bar because he's right. He's right. No one, no one did block it. Kareem, if Kareem played today, CJ, what's he putting up? I don't know, man. It just depends on the situation at team. He put up numbers because he was skilled. He was agile. He could block shots. He could rebound. He could do so many different things. He would for sure put up numbers. I don't know to to what extent that would have been, but I do know that uh, he would have he would have put up numbers for sure. Okay, let me let me let me change the question then because Kareem is the greatest college basketball player ever. It's not close. They literally changed the rules for him because he was so dominant as a dunker. They disallowed the dunk. So with that in mind, Bill Russell has eleven rings. Nobody's ever going to touch that. Who would be the better player today, Kareem or Bill Russell? It's a coin flip. It's a coin flip because the game is more beneficial to the offense nowadays. So in terms of offensive impact, obviously Kareem, you know, with his skyhook, with his with his ability to do so many different things, his footwork, um, and his ability to block shots, he would definitely impact the game on both sides. But Bill Russell's defense is so underrated and his ability to rebound, and there's so many shots that are taken now compared to back in the day because of pace he probably averaged i don't know 18 to 20 rebounds a game with his motor and his athleticism so it would be it's a it's a coin flip but offensively i think kareem would be more productive but i think defensively and from a rebounding standpoint bill russell would almost average 20 rebounds a game yeah i was gonna say with the pace and the amount of threes taken today the amount of possessions that we have today bill russell's rebounding just by like like by defunct would would go up just because there's so many more opportunities. So, I, 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 yeah, it's hard to quantify. I'd probably rather have Kareem because, to me, in his prime, he's the greatest center ever, um, unless you want to go with Shaq, but totally different era. So I'm good with, I'm good with either one of them. It's a really good debate. I, I actually like this. Can we do another one? Yeah, we can. Who are you taking in their prime today, today? Will Chamberlain, Hakeem Olajuwon. In their prime today. See, for me, it's Hakeem. It's hard to take a player and just take him out of his era and put him in another era. Uh, but Wilt was, in his era, Wilt was unlike anything we've ever seen. You're talking about a guy who's playing, he would play all 80, 82 games in a season with Converse's on flying commercial. <laughs> Basically playing 46 minutes a night. You know what I'm saying? That's right. crazy to be able to do that during those times, under those circumstances. As a seven-footer, that kind of shows you his body and, and how... Uh, how well built he was for the game of basketball. But if you put him in today's era with the medicines we have, with the technology we have, also the social media we have, could have been a lot of problems for his off the court life. But yeah, he had some off the court situations. He was an off the court legend. But I think it would have affected uh, his perception if some of the stuff that he was doing was actually on video. You know what I mean? Like now you can't go do anything. You can't go to a bar. You can't go to a club without being seen, without being recorded, without being judged. But from a basketball standpoint, offensively, I go Hakeem. But overall, I mean, Wilt would be an amazing player in today's game. We've talked about social media and how I know you've had this conversation with Scottie Pippen. Like on one hand, yeah, it'd be great for, for Scotty and the Bulls to have social media. But the stuff MJ was doing... Going to Atlantic City during the playoffs till three, four in the morning, and then coming back and playing the Knicks that night during the Eastern Conference Finals, that would not that would not fly, CJ. Today, it wouldn't be accepted, but he would still do it. 
and still have success with it. <laughs> like he would still be successful. It would just be frowned upon. How would that impact his legacy? Because he's still known as the greatest player of all time, right? But how would that impact Michael Jordan's legacy playing in an era today? Forget about the games. I'm talking about off the court, social media, everything else going on. I mean, he's so good. He's so good. I think there's exceptions to the rule for certain people. He's so good. People would say he shouldn't have done that or he shouldn't do that. But if he goes and averages 35, 8, and 5 and wins MVP and Defensive Player of the Year <laughs> and All-Star Game MVP and he wins the dunk contest, what do you say? Like, How do you argue that he shouldn't be doing X, Y, Z when – He's head and shoulders above everyone, and it's not even close. And he would be head and shoulders above everyone now. So it's like, how do you argue? Because he doesn't live the ideal life or, or what you think is ideal, but he still puts up numbers no one else can? Like, I, I mean, people would frown upon it, but it's like, I bet you there's not a GM, owner, no, of course um, not. coach that wouldn't want him on their team because it's guaranteed victories, guaranteed championship appearances. I think, see, I think Mike today would put up, I don't want to say like significantly better, but he would certainly be a better player in today's era. I would, You would have to assume he would further develop his three-point shot and all of the rules, the hand-checking that guys did against him in the post, all of that would be completely uh, illegal. So he would have free reign. And to use, we talked about his fadeaway, his ability to get to the basket, his pull-up game, the way the, the way the court is spread out. Oh, my goodness, CJ. You were talking about 35. I mean, could, could MJ get to 40? MJ could definitely get to close to 40 uh, due to the fouls, due to the defensive coverages. He can't, no three seconds in the key. You can't touch him. The fact that it's the Jordan rule, it's like his airness. Uh, people would be afraid of him. Refs would be afraid of him. Players, in some cases, uh, wouldn't be able to guard him. Uh, that's for sure. So if he averaged 36 back in the day, I'm talking about a, a, a pace now where you get out in the Western Conference, teams are averaging teams are averaging 120 points per game. Yeah. So it's breakneck. It's unnecessary. It's unreal how great he would be in our era. A couple uh, big birthdays today. CJ Chris Boss turned 36. Peyton Manning, 44. And uh, another quarterback, 43-year-old Tom Brady. We've certainly waxed poetic about his career over the years. He's in Tampa Bay. We all know that. But did you know that Terry Bradshaw, former Steeler great Hall of Famer, four-time Super Bowl winner, he said that Bill Belichick can win without Tom Brady, but he doesn't know if Tom Brady can win without Bill. And he said, why in the world, this is a quote, does he want to keep on playing at 43 other than to prove to New England he's more important than Belichick? I would never have done that, and I was shocked he was leaving. Shocked. I've never known a great quarterback, a great quarterback at the end of his career to go to another team and do anything. Wow, CJ. Terry Bradshaw, not mincing words. That's a strong, strong quote he released. Strong, opinionated uh statement. I don't agree with all of it. I agree with some of it. Tom Brady definitely has ego. You don't make it to this this point in your career. You don't win this much without having some ego, some confidence, some belief that you're better than all players, not just all players, but better than coaches as well. You have to believe you're elite of the elite in order to be a Tom Brady. I don't know what it's like to be Tom Brady, but I can imagine he has the utmost confidence in himself and believes he can win without anyone, uh, which is why he's been a great quarterback you know, having having gone so late in the draft to where he is now. But the fact that Bradshaw said, why else would he leave other than to prove he's more important than Bill Belichick? I don't agree with that statement. I think that he was ready for 
a change in scenery. He had been there 20 years. It's obvious that uh, Bill wasn't really trying to pay him, wasn't really trying to keep him as his quarterback. The rumors are that he tried to trade Tom Brady years ago uh, to San Francisco uh, in order to keep Jimmy G. So there's a lot of probably love that has been lost over the years between them, um, in a sense. But at the end of the day, I think Tom Brady is continuing to play, not just because he wants to prove someone wrong, but I think he wants to prove himself right. Like, he wants to prove that he can still play at a high level. Uh, He's got a lot of talent around him, a lot of deep ball threats uh, that he'll be able to throw to um, in Tampa Bay. So I'm sure he's looking forward to the, the change in scenery and the chance to really really play in Florida tax free state state tax free and he left the chance he left the uh, possibility and the chance for him to actually play outside of these next two years uh, by signing a two-year guarantee no trade clause no opt-out money money's all in with some bonuses gives him a chance to potentially play to 45 if he wants to and pass that which is crazy CJ does Tom Brady need any more motivation I mean the guy's won six Super Bowls he's I think he's the best to ever do it and Bradshaw said, you know, no other person or no other quarterback at, a, at an advanced stage had success anywhere else. I mean, look at Joe Montana. He goes to Kansas City, goes 12-4, and four, takes the Chiefs to the NFC Championship. And that's that's one example. Now, I'm not saying Brady is, is the same guy he was four or five years ago, but I think there's a lot of life left in him. And I think he's going to go to Tampa Bay with all those weapons, a new coach in Bruce Arians who will adapt Tampa's system to Brady. And that's not something that Brady would have gotten out of New England this year, certainly not moving forward. You know, he gets his two years, $50 million guaranteed, almost $60 million in incentive. So he's he's very happy financially. He feels like he got what he's worth. New England wasn't going to pay him that. And I think he knows or he needs to know as a competitor, as an athlete, as an all-time great, that he can go somewhere else without Bill Belichick and he can win. I think he needs to know that. He needs to feel that. And you go to Tampa Bay, Tampa's 7-9 and nine last year. All nine of those losses came by eight points or less. We know Winston sets this crazy record with 30 picks. Well, now Brady goes there, and he brings a professionalism. He brings a stability that very few players, let alone quarterbacks, can bring to a room. So I'm excited for Brady. I think what you'll see from him is a renewed sense of uh, a purpose playing somewhere else. I think... He's always focused, but he'll be totally dialed in, locked in, and I think Terry Bradshaw is going to eat crow on this one in a big way. Tampa might mess around and go to the Super Bowl, honestly. Um, Looking at their roster, looking at what they have from an offensive standpoint, if Brady can continue to throw the deep ball, be accurate, um, take care of the ball, obviously, uh, better than um, Jameis has in past, which which. You know, quite frankly, won't be that hard since Jameis led the league in picks. I think if he can continue to be accurate, get rid of the ball fast, because as Bradshaw pointed out, Tom isn't a big guy. Tom Tom takes the wrong hit. Now, this could all be over in a hurry, which is the case for a lot of players, but more specifically for Tom, because he's 43-plus years old, he's got to be very cautious about getting rid of the ball in a hurry, and I'm sure they're, they're going to load up uh, on linemen, and, and the play calling will be sped up in order to get him uh, out of the pocket and, and, rid, and rid of the ball as fast as possible. But I think the moral of the story here is that Tampa Bay is going to be very good. And this, this, is a, this is just like off topic a little bit, but on topic. Do you think the Patriots would target Cam Newton? 1,000%. He's free now. Just, just throwing that out there. I think it makes sense. On for a variety of reasons. Um, number one, they would love to be able to run the ball. 
And you're talking about a guy that has 58 career touchdowns on the ground. He's obviously been an MVP. He's only 30 years old. And I know here's the thing about, about the Patriots, right? Like they have Jared Stidham there. He's a young guy that they like. And I think they have seen the, the way the NFL is moving in terms of quarterbacks that need to be mobile and extend plays. Um, Cam Newton is only 30. He's, he's obviously taking a lot of hits, but if his shoulder is okay, if his shoulder is medically cleared, there's no reason why New England wouldn't want to take a really serious look at him, CJ. The only thing I would say is that given the situation we have, the state of coronavirus, Cam's not going to be able to get in that building and take a physical, and it is late now in the quarterback game, right? We, we've seen a lot of guys get homes, but why wouldn't New England want to take a shot and at least look at him? They have to definitely give him a look. But like you said before, you pointed out a lot of interesting points with the coronavirus. He's not able to take a physical. They're not sure of of his foot. He only played two games in 2019. And here's the kicker. If Carolina knew they didn't want him, why would they wait till after free agency started to to release him? It's terrible. I, I, I said this when the news came out. Like They put him in a really bad spot. He doesn't have any leverage now. Um, there's only a couple teams that really need a quarterback. I mean, we, we've talked about the Chargers and whether or not Terod Taylor is the guy. They're, they're going to draft a quarterback, I, I'm sure. But but Cam, like, you know, he his window would have been two weeks ago before, as for agency was getting ramped up to, to really think about, okay, here here are my realistic options. Now, to your point, see, he, he doesn't really have a lot of options. Uh, pundits will say he's lost his last eight starts. I still think there's some juice left in Cam Newton. Um, I guess I would ask you this. Is there, uh, is there a most ideal home for him? Like I talked about the Chargers, the Patriots. Is there a team where you would say, I would like him to go there? I mean, I don't know whether or not he wants to be a backup, but he's certainly going to have to consider it. Originally, I thought Chicago was the spot for him. Um, I thought that, that that's the spot that made the most sense. Great defense. I looking to potentially make a change at quarterback. I felt like that's something they would consider. Um, obviously, this is a good quarterback draft, so teams are going to move cautiously optimistic. You know, you got Burroughs going one. You know, you got Herbert going pretty early. Uh, you got Tua, and the list goes on and on. So some teams may be thinking, "Hey, uh, let's just let's just try to make a move for a younger guy um, who we can kind of develop." and figure out what his ceiling is. But there's no doubt in my mind Cam's a starting quarterback in this league, and it's just a matter of where. And I thought originally Chicago Bears was the team for him, but now I'm unsure. Cleveland? Backup Baker? Yeah, absolutely not. Don't disrespect Cam like that, man. Well, I'm just saying. No Cam slander will be tolerated. I, that's not Cam slander. You said backup Baker, man. That's slander, man. That's blasphemy. You're talking about an MVP of this league. So he's better than Baker right now. I'm not saying that he's better than Baker. I'm saying that he, his agent is not going to put him in that position. And if I was Baker's agent, I would not want that pit bull behind me. <laughs> I love it. The moment he starts throwing picks, they're going to be saying, "I'm with you." We want Cam. You know what I'm saying? You don't want that type of, you want that type of backlash. That's like that's like the Sacramento Kings drafting Jimmer and then drafting Isaiah Thomas. You don't pit a put a pit bull behind someone who's who's not necessarily a pit bull. No, and I'm with you. Like I I've been very supportive of of Cam still having a lot of a lot of time left in this league, but um I I'm with you with Carolina too. Like I I just I thought it was really uh, unfortunate how uh it was handled and and just the spot it puts him in. Um okay. Last note, most notably, most important note of the podcast, the wine. Cue the wine music, please. 
I'm glad we can reminisce on what we've drank, what we continue to drink, and what we will do with this time in the house. I have been drinking a lot of rosé. I've had some Chardonnays. I've been able to explore some different regions and kind of figure out uh, what I have an appetite for as I continue to dive into this wine world outside of the Pinot world. Most recently, I've had some fine, fine, fine rosés. And I want to share those with you. Obviously, rosé has a different type of price point to where you can explore $25 bottles, $30 bottles, $40 bottles. But right now, I want to explore uh, a rosé that I had from Sonoma County. Elise actually went to Sonoma uh, with her family last year, and they brought me back uh, Paradise Ridge uh, Sonoma rosé, which has an average price point of 26 bucks. It was great. Uh, it has that melon apricot taste, a little bit of peaches, obviously strawberries as well. It was definitely fun to drink. Uh, I put it in the fridge for a little bit, and I gave it a little bit of chill and went right to work uh, with it. It's one of the... Um, According to wine rankings, you compare it with beef, lamb, spicy foods, uh, hard cheese, goat cheese, all that stuff. And the grapes are Syrah and Zinfandel. Um, I really enjoyed it. Once again, not a crazy price point, not a crazy rating as well. It's not like the wine rankings uh, throughout the world are raving about it, but I think it's a, a hidden gem you can enjoy. Interesting to go with rosé in the colder climates. Hey, sometimes drastic times calls for drastic measures. Well, I've been going to Burgundy, as you know. I posted this on Instagram, Volnay Champons. I don't even know if that's the correct enunciation. It is a premier crew. Domaine Jacques Prior. I don't know, again, how to pronounce this. It is very French. CJ, very, very good. Um, we got to we gotta update our pull-up poly wine list because I think we're at the point now where we have enough new ones and, and there is a demand. Everybody's always asking, like, can you get me these these names? I don't know how to spell them. I think, I think we need to update the master list, including I'm your premium. What is it? A Paradise Ridge? Paradise Ridge. That's the name of it. Mr. McCollum, I think it's time for you to get back to your puppy who does not have a name yet. Possibly Doris, possibly Diana. She probably pooped on my shoes at this point. She's been she's been walking around <laughs> uh, unattended. <laughs> but once again, we appreciate all our listeners tuning in faithfully. Jordan, you stay safe out there over yonder. Don't forget to upload that video uh, when you get a chance. You will really like the app because it is pretty funny and conventional. Outside of that, you stay safe, my brother. You too, bro. And to all our listeners out there, we hope you continue to wash your hands and staying socially isolated and socially distanced away from people six feet minimum on your walks and your store encounters and wherever else you may be going for those emergencies. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up.